Well, uh, Lynn and I were stuck in the frozen tundra of Minnesota this past week and made it back uh, late Thursday night. Uh, we, had, we were stuck up there for a couple days extra, but it was good to see Lynn's mom up there. And uh, Pastor Jeremy's gone uh, for a weekend with his chaplaincy uh, today. And uh, what else? But it's good to be back in Kansas. I tell you what, driving out of the snow country of Minnesota and the ice country into Iowa and then finally into Kansas, ah, it was great. It was great to be home. I felt like Dorothy. No place like home. Hey, uh, have you ever had an epiphany? You know, something that dawned on you, a new revelation, a new awareness of something, and you went, wow, hadn't thought of that before. I remember uh, having an epiphany when I was in college when I returned home and someone told me it became news that Lucille Ball was born on the top floor of an apartment on the street right next to mine and I delivered papers to that apartment. In fact, a friend of mine lived in that upstairs apartment and I had no idea that Lucille Ball ever lived there growing up. So I was like, a mind blower to me. Life changing. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. But what was life-changing was when I was in college, I, I transitioned from being a math major to a ministry major because of what preceded that and how the Lord gave me an epiphany that he's calling me into ministry. Have you ever had an epiphany like that, that kind of redirected your life? Well, we're here celebrating Epiphany Day, Sunday which means an appearance or a manifestation or an illumination, a realization of something new. Epiphany is a church church day, holiday, so to speak, that we we celebrate 12 days after Christmas on the 12th day. Epiphany is, is that, and it would have been Thursday of this week, so Sunday we celebrate Epiphany, and it's when we remember that God revealed himself through the coming of the Christ child, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And we read about it in Matthew chapter 2, the Gentiles being the Magi or the wise men. Again, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the illumination was a star in the sky, but it also led to an illumination and an epiphany in the mind for these magi. I'm going to have a bunch of these cartoons here this week, and I want to apologize in advance for those who don't appreciate it. Buck up. No, no. And they're really not that funny, but I added them in there anyway. So fortunately, that wasn't the light that illumined the sky for the wise men. Well, uh, from a distance, it certainly looked like a star. All right, anyway, again, I apologize. You're going to be seeing like six or seven of those, so get used to it. Uh, Why would God choose to reveal Jesus, the light of the world, to these Gentile magi from the east? In other words, they were foreigners, and they came from a pagan land. Why the magi? Well, for the same reason that God chose to reveal himself to so many others in Scripture, so many, just to give you a few examples, Joseph and Mary, who are young, obscure, poor, rejected, came from a podunk town, or the shepherds, who were powerless, um, who they're poor as well, and they were outcasts. 
or to Simeon and Anna who were elderly. And in, in some, some people's estimation, they were over the years, you know. Um, they were unproductive to society any longer. Or Jesus revealed himself later to the disciples who would have been commoners with little influence in their culture. First Corinthians, Paul tells us that God chooses the foolish things in the world to confound the wise. And in the same way today that God chooses to reveal himself to many peoples from other countries that are non-Christian countries, in some cases pagan countries in a way, like in China, in, in the Middle East, where God appears to thousands every day in dreams and visions, where Jesus reveals himself to these Muslims who end up meeting Jesus and, and converting to the truth of Christ, Christianity. Well, the Magi, uh, from which we derive the word magician, uh, they were more than magicians, like sleight of hand. They were experts in philosophy and astronomy and medicine, natural science. In other words, their job description was to be lifelong learners. And today, we would run to Google or we would run to Wikipedia for information and knowledge and advice. But back then, even the kings, powerful kings, would call upon their magi in the courtroom to find out the information and advice and knowledge that they needed. If you recall, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon called on this Jewish guy named Daniel because Nebuchadnezzar had this dream and it was disturbing him so much, he needed someone to interpret it for him. And God gave Daniel the wisdom to interpret for King Nebuchadnezzar and he did so accurately, so much so that Nebuchadnezzar would make him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the what? All of the wise men, all of the magi, this Jewish leader in a foreign country in exile, he was put in charge of all the Babylonian wise men or magi. And as a result of Daniel's leadership, we can assume that he had great influence in Babylon and in the east over the magi and the wise men. It would have trickled down even to the time of these magi we're reading about many years later. They would have been instructed in the ways of God and in the prophecies from God's word, including this prophecy from Daniel 9. It says, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. In other words, 445 B.C., the time of Daniel, there would have been 69 seven-year periods. In other, in other words, 483 years later, at the time of Jesus' earthly ministry, 30 A.D., so the wise men during Jesus' lifetime would have been anticipating these 69 sevens, periods. Uh, so the, um, so, oh yeah, and then, uh, so the time was ripe. And so we come to another prophecy that they would have learned as well and studied. And from Numbers 24, they would have discovered, again, another sign of the exact time of the coming of the Christ child or the Messiah or this new leader. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, Jacob meaning Israel. A scepter will raise out of Israel. A star will appear, and a scepter 
a leader will rise out of Israel. When we see the star, we know that a scepter is at hand. So these wise men from the east would have seen the star. Aha, a baby's been born. Another cartoon. Thank you very much. This is not how it began. He, he, he. All right, there you go. <laughs> another, another prophecy that they would have been aware of. Um, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and from ancient times. The exact place, Bethlehem. But what would possibly, what could possibly motivate these wise men from up to a thousand miles away, what could have motivated them to search for a Jewish Messiah in, in Jerusalem or in, in that area, in Judah? A thousand mile journey from the east across a hot and dangerous desert. What could have motivated them? Well, the Magi from many think Parthia, which would be modern-day Iran, these Magi would have longed for hope and security and peace because they lived in really dark and frightening times in their country. Their king was wicked, made King Herod from Judah seem like Mr. Rogers by comparison. Their king in, in Parthia would have been named King Phraates IV. King Phraates was so evil that he murdered his father, his father's wives, 30 of his brothers. He would trade his sons to the enemy Romans in order to secure his throne. And so prophecies were revealed to the Magi that a scepter would rise out of Israel and would lead the world in justice. Another prophecy in authority, in glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language would worship him. His dominion would be an everlasting dominion that would not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed, Daniel 7.14. These magi would have said, man, we got to meet this king. We need to meet this who will bring security and hope and peace to the world. We want our land to be more secure as well. And so they, they, they uh, sacrificed everything in search for this newborn king. Well, how can we, like the Magi, come to experience Jesus, the light of the world, in a more intimate way and receive all that he has for us, namely hope and peace and security? How can we live with such confidence? I'd like to suggest that we embrace the attitude of the Magi. Their attitude was one of faith, worship, and repentance, and that will be the outline for the remainder of the sermon. Let's look at the attitude of faith first. Can you imagine the conversation back home in Parthia and Arabia before they set out for the star? Hey, I hear you guys are going on a journey. Uh, yeah, where are you going? Uh, we don't know for sure. Somewhere that way. Why are you going? Well, we saw the star. We're going to worship a king. Oh, who is this king? Uh, we don't know. How long will you be gone? Oh, we don't know. Boy, for wise men, you sure don't know very much, do you? Sort of like this. They're not really wise. Boom. You know, gets hit with a rake. Yeah. Wise men, huh? Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Um, their journey would have been one of faith. 
But it would have been not blind faith. It would have been faith in the prophecy of Scripture. It was a strong belief that the Messiah would be born because it was promised in Scripture. Well, they would logically be led to Jerusalem. You know, the king of the Jews would probably be in Jerusalem. So they went to Jerusalem and they met the king of the Jews, King Herod, the self-proclaimed king of the Jews. And they asked King Herod in verse 2, where's the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Notice they asked it in the past tense. They didn't ask, hey, King Herod, has there been a little baby born here, king of the Jews? It wasn't one of doubt, it was one of assurance. Where has he been born? By the way, someone's wife commented, that's the only reason why the wise men are famous today, because they're the only men in history known to have stopped and asked for directions. So they stopped and asked Herod for directions. And the Magi were called in. Herod's, Herod's Counselors, religious leaders will be called in. Before I get there, though, there are two kinds of faith that these magi would have demonstrated. The first kind of faith would have been a saving faith. It fits us for heaven. When we believe in Christ, we become children of God, fit for heaven. But then there's an experiential faith, a faith that we live day by day. It fits us for earth. We walk by faith, not by sight, Scripture tells us. Or Hebrews tells us, without faith, it's impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. It's an active faith, a practicing day-by-day faith. It's the type of faith that we, we all have faith in something, right? Um, those who discovered the steamboat Arabia in Kansas City, how many have been to that museum? Yeah, pretty cool place. Steamboat Arabia. Um, well, this family, just, they, they heard of this sunken ship, and they, they said, hey, we're going to set out to try and find this. They believed it, it existed. They read about it in history. They looked along the river and couldn't find it. Well, it was in some field later because of the, the um, redirection of the river over time. And they finally found it, and they dug it up, and they sacrificed everything to find this ship and then dig it up and then clean off the and create this museum, and I'm sure they became pretty wealthy as a result because they had faith that it existed, and they gave everything to pursue this goal, and they continue to do so. I just, we just talked to a son at the museum a few weeks ago on our missions trip. A son was wandering, or grandson was wandering in the hallways just welcoming everyone saying, we got this new ship we're looking for now too, and here's a picture of it, and he was so excited because they had faith that it existed. Well, these magi had faith that this newborn Baby, the new king of the Jews, was born. So much so that they would leave for a thousand-mile journey through the dangerous desert in order to see this newborn king. We need to demonstrate that kind of faith. Let's see how the main characters in the Epiphany story, Magi story, developed an attitude of faith or lack thereof. We read the story already. We don't need to read it again, but we have King Herod, and all the people in Jerusalem, they were disturbed when they heard this news. And then, and then they came, and uh, the religious leaders came, and, and, and they, uh, the priests and teachers of law, they came, and they, they told Herod exactly where this baby was born, just six miles away. Verse 7, Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found them out the exact time the star had appeared. So he, Herod, 
sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go worship him. He had no intention of worshiping this newborn king. This newborn king was a threat to him. He wanted to kill him. Verse 9, after they, the Magi, had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. We can assume that this star rose again, and they saw the star for the second time. It didn't appear in the sky for a couple years, but it appeared again and led them straight to Bethlehem over the house where the baby was, uh, was now a young child. And so we, uh, who responded in this story in faith? It would have been only the Magi. Why didn't Herod or the people of Jerusalem or the chief priests or teachers of the law, why didn't they bother to walk the six measly miles to discover for themselves if this report was true or not? Why wouldn't they demonstrate faith like the Magi had? Why didn't Herod? Well, because of fear of losing control of his throne and power. In fact, he ordered the death of the baby boys in Bethlehem two years and under to eliminate the threat of this newborn child. And we see signs of people trying to eliminate Jesus in our culture too. It's called cancel culture. Let's cancel Christ. Fortunately, oh, and here's another cartoon, by the way. Uh, It says... After the wise men left, there came the three politically correct guys. Happy holidays, season greetings, warmest wishes. They wouldn't even mention the name Christ and Merry Christmas. Fortunately, though, this past week we saw this political correctness get turned around, didn't we? When Tim Tebow, or not Tim Tebow, when uh, Damar Hamlin from Buffalo Bills uh, fell injured, and who hit their knees on NFL Even later on, on ESPN, they prayed. Many people were saying, we're praying. Even a friend who's an atheist who I know on Facebook said, praying for Damar. So this all of a sudden is politically correct to do so, I guess. Whereas just not many years ago, Tim Tebow got criticized and ostracized because he bowed on the field during games. They call it the T-bow. He bowed his knee. Well, it's good that people are beginning to pray and God is using this. And God's going to use Demar Hamlin, I believe, who I believe is a Christian. So that's awesome. But Herod would, wanted to cancel Christ. He feared losing control. And then the people of Jerusalem, they were just apathetic. They didn't care. Why go to Podunk, Bethlehem? There's no good shopping there. There's no good food items there. We're going to remain right here in the hub of Jerusalem where action is happening, where we got better things to do, better places to go. And then there were the priests, the religious leaders, and the teachers of the law. They were self-sufficient. Hey, we, we got all we need at this time. We're content. We're fulfilled. We got power. We got influence. We got our jobs. We got our families. We really don't need a savior Yeah, we believe, you know, in Scripture, but ah. actually we pursue the things that we will value the most, always. We all do. Like a calorie-conscious woman drove past a bakery and saw some gorgeous Christmas cookies in the window, and she prayed, Lord, if you want me to stop and have some of these delicious cookies, let me find a parking place directly in front of the bakery. And wouldn't you know, 
The eighth time around the block, there it was. <laughs> we pursue the things we want. Jeremiah 29, you will seek me, God says, when you seek me with all your heart. You'll seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And then there were the Magi who saw this star in the east, and they, and they acted upon it. They left house and home and family and careers to go follow the star in that direction and seek out this Messiah. That was faith. They had the knowledge from Scripture, but then they had wisdom. Knowledge is passive. It's a study of the facts and study of the truth, but we don't apply it. We don't act upon it. Herod had that. His religious leaders had that. The people in Jerusalem, they would have discovered that with the entourage of wise men marching into their city. But then there's wisdom. Wisdom is active. It's an application of the knowledge. That's what faith is. Here's another cartoon. Who are, who are the wise guys here? Oh, wise guys, eh? The stooges or the wise men? All right. Thank you very much. All right. I aim to please there. Um, so my question is, do you have an attitude of faith this morning? Or do, do you actively pursue God and apply his truth to your life? Do you apply wisdom and faith to your life? That's an attitude of faith. If we're to know hope, security, and peace, purpose, then we need to apply faith to our lives every day. Uh, secondly, and these last two points are much shorter, they had an attitude of worship. In verse 2, they told Herod, we have come to worship him. And the, when the Magi found Jesus, they offered him their best in worship. True worship is a response of sacrifice. It's giving God our very, very best. And in verse 11, we read, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They bowed down in humble worship, and then they offered the best. They, they offered a sacrifice of time to your journey to find this child. They offered their sacrifice of safety. They would have wandered through the desert with these riches, uh, with all these thieves and, and um, dangerous people in the desert. And they, they walked into enemy territory, and then they sacrificed their resources once they found him by giving him their best of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And bringing gifts was important in that ancient East culture. It meant that I'm approaching someone who is superior to me. Sort of like when the Queen of Sheba came to King Solomon and offered him gifts. That's what, was, that's what the Magi were doing to this, this young child. And so here's another cartoon. After the three wise men left, the three wiser women arrived and they offered fresh if, they were, if there were women, they would have offered fresh diapers and casseroles and formula, just, just so you know. That's biblical. All right. Um, what significance did their gifts have of gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Well, gold represents royalty and majesty of, of Jesus. Gold was a gift fit for a king, and he was a king. At the birth, he was offered gold. Where is this king born, king of the Jews? And then at the end of his life, he had a thing above him on the cross saying, this is the king of the Jews. So from beginning to end, he was regarded as king. Um, and that, because that's who he was. 
a commanding officer gave a soldier a weekend pass to attend a wedding. And uh, he said, make sure you're back here at 7 p.m. on Sunday evening. And the soldiers responded, you don't understand, sir. I'm in the wedding. And he said, no, you don't understand, soldier. You're in the army, and I'm your commander. Well, Jesus is our commanding king. Does Jesus reign as the king of our lives? Does he sit on the throne of our lives? Or do we continue to sit on our throne in operating our daily life and our own strength and wisdom without consulting him? Is he the king of our lives? And then they offered him not only gold, but frankincense, which represented the divinity of Christ. Yet another cartoon. Frankincense, you idiot. All right, there you go. Frankincense is an incense used by priests in the temple in worship to God, sacrifice to God. And so when these magi offered incense to this young child, then they're essentially saying, you are God. We believe you are God because you are Emmanuel, God with us. Whether they knew it or not, that's what the frankincense represented. And then there was myrrh. Myrrh represented the humanity of Jesus. Two more cartoons here. Myrrh. It says on the very bottom, or on top, nothing but myrrh. What? I suppose... Oh, can you go back? What? I suppose... You were supposed to bring frankincense. And who brought the gold? They all had myrrh. Wise men. All right. And the other one? Uh, too late. One of the wise men realized he bought his gag gift jar of myrrh by mistake. All right. There you go. All right. Thank you for that smattering of laughter. appreciate it. It does my, my heart good. Okay. Myrrh was a spice. It was used for a couple purposes. It was used to anoint the dead. You know, sort of like embalming fluid, but to cover up the stench of the decaying body. But it was also an anesthetic for pain. Like if someone were on the cross, it would have been used sometimes as an anesthetic. Myrrh would have been a very strange gift for Joseph and Mary to receive. They wouldn't have understood it. But the significance of it was that he came to die. This child's main purpose was to live his life and then die for our sins as our Savior. It would have been a strange gift. Here's some embalming fluid for your young newborn, you know, or whatever, or for your two-year-old birthday party. Well, there are two words for myrrh in Greek, myrrh and smyrna. Myrrh, we get the word Mount Moriah, and this is where Abraham was instructed to sacrifice his son Isaac to God. And of course, we know the story that he didn't, and that wasn't God's intention, but Abraham was willing to, Mount Moriah. Do you know what else took place in the approximate location of Mount Moriah? The crucifixion of our Lord. Myrrh was used by the wise men at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Here's a gift of myrrh. And then at the end of his ministry, when they took Jesus' body, wrapped him in linen cloths, and put 75 pounds of myrrh and other spices on him. John 19 tells us of that. And the other Greek word for myrrh comes from the word Smyrna, the church of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2. It was a suffering church. And this is what Jesus says of this church. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Be faithful even to the point of death, 
and I will give you life as your victor's crown. In other words, this gift of myrrh symbolizes the offerings of our pain and weaknesses to God, as did Jesus as our suffering service servant. He suffered as well to identify with us. Psalm 51, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, God, I give you. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. So the Magi offered myrrh to this child Jesus. And they bowed down and worshipped him, indicating, we submit to you, King of the Jews. We need you. The offerings of the Magi served a practical purpose too, finally. In verse 13, we read that when the angel Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take your child and mother escape to Egypt because Herod's trying to kill your child. So they got up and they took the child and mother during the night and they left. They wouldn't have been able to afford that 350 mile journey from Bethlehem to Egypt. Here's another cartoon. Gold. At this rate, we'll be able to afford a hotel, Joseph tells Mary. So that these gifts would have provided their means to be able to make that treacherous journey to Egypt and live there for a time. And then finally, very short last point, these magi had an attitude of worship and then they had an attitude of repentance. So where in the world do you get that from? kind of conjecture in verse 12 and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they the magi returned to their country by another route or in another way other bible versions say in another way they changed their directions after hearing from God and not only went a different route but they also changed their direction of their lives because they were changed they had met the king of the world, Jesus, the newborn king. And the Magi experienced an epiphany. The light of the star led them to the light of the world, their new king, which changed their lives and their attitudes, their perspective, because they left with a new hope, a new peace, and a new security, for they'd come to know the king of the world. I've been conversing with a guy past number of years. In fact, I met him in Dairy Queen years ago, probably at least 10 years ago. And I've been in conversation with him the whole time, off and on. He never came to church here, but I've seen him around. And he calls me for help occasionally. And our church has been able to help him a lot. But I kind of knew he was blowing smoke when he said, hey, man, God has been good and stuff. I knew that he really didn't have a relationship with Christ or a close one and who's kind of using the church a little bit. I knew that. But yet, we continue to minister to him and love him unconditionally. Here about a year, year and a half ago, he experienced a tragedy, loss of his wife. And then he got in trouble with the law, and he, he became really suicidal. And for the first time, he was desperate. So what did he do? He hit his knees like the Magi, and he, he submitted to the Savior the king. And he said, Lord, I need you. When I talked to him last week, he said, John, I can't even explain it, but my relationship with God is so much different now. So much different. I mean, it's alive. 
I'm reading the Bible all the time. I can't get enough of it. He said, I love it. And um, I have purpose. I have vision now. And he, he just is a different person because he's been changed, because he met the living Jesus. He said, I hear God speak to me. You know, when I pray and when I listen to him, I hear him direct me. I have these thoughts and he's giving me hope and on and on. <clears throat> and I can attest to the fact that he is different. He has been changed because he had an epiphany. He met the living Jesus. Well, how can we experience an epiphany of Jesus? Maybe for the first time, or maybe we need a new, fresh awareness encounter with Jesus. We need, maybe we need to be filled with hope, a restored uh, joy and peace, a restored security in our lives and confidence. If we do, I would encourage us to embrace the attitude of the Magi who had an attitude of faith, an act of faith, so much so that they were willing to sacrifice. They had an attitude of worship and submission. They offered God, Jesus, their best. And they had an attitude of repentance. They were willing to change because they met Jesus, and they did. And so, Lord, we... Uh, we ask, Lord, we thank you, first of all, for these examples of the Magi, and thank you, Lord, that you chose them, of all people, in a very unexpected way, because you came to reveal yourself to the world, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, including us today in McPherson area. And so, Lord, I pray that as we conclude this service today, that whatever we need, Lord, as we look to you and give you our best, that you will in turn meet with us exactly uh, where we are and, and offer us what we need, Lord, that we may live for you and that our lives too may be changed. I pray. Amen.